Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Okay. Um, okay, my name is Hank Nyer. I've been doing this imperfectly for just over 33 years. My accident date is November 30th, 1988. My top weight was 404 pounds, and I'm grateful for that. And I'll tell you why. Previously, my top weight was 402, and I got down to 350 before I went back up. And I say that if had it only been 401, I would have said not so bad. But those additional two pounds changed my life. Um, I came in. There were no computers. Everything was there. I thought I, for the first month or two, I thought I was only allowed to go to the uh, uh, 100-pounders meeting, which is where I qualified. And I got there early. It was funny. I got there. It was November 30th, 1988. It was a Wednesday night at the old Darby office. And I remember Ira was there, and he got in my face, and I'm twice the size of him, and he so intimidated me. But now we're friends. We can get along and talk, but I was scared. He scared the crap out of me. Um, anyway, um, well, I'm not supposed to mention any individuals. Well, sorry about that, Ira. Um, so I came in, and um, and before that, years ago, I had been a paid lecturer at Weight Watchers, where I lost 100 pounds, and I was lecturing and telling people how to do it, and I started gaining the weight back. And somebody at the meeting said, well, you're not, you're not thin. And so I went back on the program, and I weighed in front of the class. That's how nuts I was in my 30s. I weighed in front of the group every Wednesday night or whatever night it was that I, that I was uh, speaking. So I came in, and um, as I said, I thought I could only go to the Wednesday night meeting. So that was November 30th, and then about three or four weeks later, it was the holidays, Christmas, and somebody said, are you going to this other meeting? So that was the first time I went to two meetings in one day, and I liked that. It was, I forgot if it was the um, 9 o'clock meeting or it may have been the 2.30 in the park meeting. It was the 2.30 in the park meeting in Studio City. So I went to a meeting. That was the first time I went to two meetings in one day, and that's where I met my first sponsor. And many of you might remember Irving. He he passed away several years ago, but I didn't. I was his first sponsee, and he and he lovingly would say he made all his mistakes on sponsoring on me. I was the the beneficiary of of, of his whatever. So, um, and I remember my son would been in drug rehab, and that's how I got my first big book. And I remember we had a dog, and the dog chewed up the the big book, and I complained to Irving. He said, "Why don't you go out of your own damn big book?" So I went out and bought my own dad big book. I had to call him every morning at 10 minutes to 7. One morning I called him at 9 minutes to 7, and he hung up on me. He said, that, that's not 10 minutes to 7. So I called him back the next day, and I was so willing to do whatever he said. I remember I was going out. I, I called in my food every day, and, and I stuck to it. And uh, I was going to wait. Um, Wednesday and Saturday was um, OA, and also in the morning before OA I went to a uh, uh, Weight Watchers meeting to weigh in, and I lost the weight in dramatic fashion. I lost 15 pounds the first week, 30 pounds in 30 days, 50 pounds in 60 days, and 100 pounds in six months. So 
I remember once my wife and I were going out to dinner, and on Saturday morning I called Irving to tell him what I was eating. When I got to the restaurant, I changed my mind, and I went out of the restaurant because there were no cell phones then, and I looked around for a pay phone to call Irving and tell him that I was changing my food. And I'll never say, hey, just tell me you're eating protein. I don't care what the hell it is. And that, that's how diligent I was in working the program. So I worked it. So I lost 100 pounds in six months. And um, before OA, when I was 350, 400 pounds, uh, when I had a fly, I didn't know that airlines had an extender belt. So I would sit with a jacket or something over my uh, lap so that they wouldn't see that I wasn't buckled in. And I was wedged into the seat. There was no way I could get out of it anyway. So I flew to this from Burbank to San Jose, I think, on a business trip. And um, lo and behold, a seatbelt went around me for the first time. And I called Irving from the hotel room and told him what happened. He said, maybe she could down on your knees and thank your higher power. And that started me on getting on my knees every morning, unless I'm in the hospital or something else or something's going on. And... Um, and I'll never forget this. My wife didn't like the way we went once, and she, and she thought I joined a cult. And when she saw me on my knees, she said, that's the last step. You've joined some sort of cult. Jews do not get down on your knees. You better go talk to the rabbi. So I went and I talked to the rabbi, and I'll never forget what he said. Hank, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So I did do that, and I divorced my wife, so I lost another 110 pounds. We're now friends now. It's 30 years later. And another story about my, my journey in OA, um, on our last trip together, we went to New Orleans with another couple, her, her cousin and, and her cousin's husband. And um, every time we went away, my wife got sick the first morning. No matter where we went that first morning, she had to be alone. So I found an OA meeting at a hospital. I took a cab from the hotel to the meeting. And I shared for three minutes. I'm visiting from out of town, whatever. And that was it. Went on. Six months or so later, I get a job offer. I'm separated from my wife. I'm living in a trailer with, my, with our two dogs. And I got a job offer from Washington in Washington, D.C. And I said to my wife, we weren't divorced. I said, do you want to give it one more shot and come with, to Washington with me? She said, no, I've had it. I moved around the country with you. I'm done. So I went with my two dogs and everything I own. And so people at the meetings were giving me slips of paper with names of people they knew who lived in Washington. And I tell people this, anybody in any 12-step program can move much easier than someone who's a, a civilian because we have a meeting list right in our pockets when we get to where we're going and we have an instant community. So I'll never forget this. I left it. It was right after the Rodney King beating and the riots broke out. I escaped the riots. I think I escaped the riots and drove through a snowstorm, get to Washington. And a Saturday afternoon, I went to um, where I was supposed to be working. I hadn't found a place to live yet. The dogs were in the car. It was snowing. And um, I, the first piece of paper that I slipped, that I pulled out of my pocket from somebody who was there happened to be of a woman whose name I've forgotten. But she had just moved to Washington from New Orleans, had been at that meeting six months before and recognized my distinct voice, told me where to meet her the next day, Sunday, where it was a meeting. So I did that. Still, um, where was that? I was living in a hotel. They put me up in a hotel for three nights. And uh, so I had the dogs with me in the snowstorm. Went to this meeting, got a meeting list. My first day of work was Monday. Went to work. After the meeting, there was a meeting. It was called Downtown Noon. I went to that meeting and uh, got a meeting list. And, and I, I had the meeting list. And I shared that I needed a place to live. 
one of the women at the meeting lived in a building with like 300 units and about half the people there owned dogs. So I, I went there, applied, I was accepted. My third night, I got it. Somebody gave me like a mattress. I slept on a mattress and I had a bridge chair and a beach chair with me that I brought from California. That was how I rebuilt my life. And um, that was in Washington. And right over the, the river was Virginia. And Virginia had just started a 100-pounders meeting. So I was new blood. They, they asked me to lead that meeting. And I still have friends from there. And I led that, and I, and I spoke at that meeting, and that became a whole meeting meeting. So I'm going to meetings in Washington. I'm going to meetings in, in Virginia. I also found meetings in Maryland and Bethesda and, and, and other places. And I'll never forget Roseanne, who was the founder of OA, spoke at a convention in Baltimore, and I was there. I was the only person she knew there. And, and I'll never forget, I got her book at that time. I, I think I bought her book and I brought it with me, and she signed it. And I forgot her thing, but she signed it the same way for everybody. But I thought I was special. Here, I got this book. Years later, when she passed away, somebody else talked about it. She signed that for everybody. So here I thought it was Mr. Special, and I was just another bozo on the bus. That's how I was. So you guys saved my life. I have a life beyond my wildest dreams now. I, I rebuilt my life. I'm in a one-bedroom condo now that I own, along with the bank. Um, I have a dog. I had some relationships, just started seeing someone new and whatever. And, and, and I live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I never expected this. When I was 40 years old, the doctor said to me, Hank, if you don't do something about your weight, you won't live to be 50. I waited seven years before I came in. Any sane person would have done something the next day, or any sane person might not have been told that in the first place. So you guys saved my life. I'm a miracle of this program. We're all miracles. And, you know, I'm just another bozo on the bus. My first sponsor, I said I was his first sponsor. You know, I told him about doing all that stuff. Um, so uh, I, uh, I'm i grateful to this. I, I try to go to meetings. I like the in-person meetings. I, I, I like this. Um, I like one-on-one. -on -one. People say, how are you dealing with the pandemic? Well, I know people who have moved from here and where I've lived in other places so every day I make about maybe three, usually at least three or four phone calls to people that I haven't seen in a while and just spend a few minutes on the phone. That's how I'm dealing with it as opposed to going to a meeting with, with a, around, you know, on the computer, which I'm not comfortable with. And I apologize for my There's nothing I can do to shut her up when someone's walking by the door. So I guess that's it for me. And if you want to have any questions, um, ask me. I guess it's a Q&A. So um, I'm not sure what to do now. Okay. Well, it's supposed to be at 9.30. It's 9.20. Should I? Um, if you have just a couple of more minutes, Hank, you can kind of wrap up with something, and we can end it a little early if that's what you okay. prefer. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I'll wrap up. As I said, you guys saved my life. I live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I know people all over the country. Um, and, um, and, and I'm, and I always say, what's the best time to call? And I always say, before you eat, you know, so my phone is very, very, very rarely turned off if it's being charged to something and, and it's on, it's not on vibrate, it's on sound and, and call me before you eat, you know, because they say, and here, oh, somebody said, if some of you guys know, um, his name is Winston, he lives up in Santa Barbara and I love this. He said, this is the difference between a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic. If an alcoholic wants to take a drink at 3 o'clock in the morning, he calls somebody, and within 20 minutes, there are three sober alcoholics at his door talking him out of it. 
If, an, if a compulsive overeater wants to eat, he does, and a month later he tells somebody. So that's why I say my phone is never turned off. Call me before you eat. That's the only way I, we can help. Call or anybody. It doesn't have to be me. Call somebody. Call your sponsor. Call a newcomer. Say, I need help. You know, I need help. I think those are the three most – they say keep coming back. Well, let's keep coming back. I need help. Those those almost together. And I have to remember that no matter how long I'm in recovery, I still need help. I still need you people because my disease, they say it's cunning, baffling, powerful. It's jealous and patient. It's jealous and patient. It's waiting for me to slip. I turned 80 years old four, almost four months ago. You know, when I was 40 years old, doctor said I wouldn't live to be 50. So, uh, you know, by coming into OA, I did this. I've outlived my father. In another year and a half, I'll have outlived my mother. You know, that's my goal, to at least live to be 81, 82 years old. And then after that, you know, I'd like to be like, um, who was it who just passed away? The, 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 the movie person from, from, um, you know, oh, fabulous actress. Betty White. Who is that? Betty White. Right. Um, so she, so she passed away. I, I'd like to be a hundred years old before I go. And, but you know, I'm not in charge. God will take me when he's ready for me. When he feels my work is done on, on earth, then I'll, then I'll go to wherever I'm supposed to go. Okay. That's it for me. Thank you for letting me read. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you and you can then unmute and ask your questions. So, I can't see anybody, so I'm just waiting for questions. Eileen? Uh, Oh, we can hear you. Oh, yeah. Eileen, you had your hand up. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to unmute. There we go. Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Eileen Compulsive Reader. Hank, thank you so much for your share. Uh, it's great to see you. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate your recovery. Um, can you talk about – you talked about making outreach calls, and I find that a lot of people – I was taught to make outreach calls. Can you talk about – um, did you struggle with making them when you first came in, bothering people, that kind of thing? I hear people say that a lot. And uh, when you don't feel like making a call, but we got to make a call. Thank you. Okay. Well, they say there's only two times when you need to make a call, when you want to and when you don't want to. It's the same thing. You go to a meeting when you want to, when you don't want to. I never thought about um, bothering anybody. Uh, you know, that, that was there. That was I was told. No one ever said, I'm bothering me, call me back. Or they say, hey, I'm in a, I'll say that's, I'm in a meeting, I'll call you back as soon as I'm done, I'll do that. But I have no qualms about calling people. I have a set thing, you know, that I call, and some people have moved away. And I've, and I've lived in half a dozen states in different parts of the country. So I can call somebody where it's too early in California. I know people in Washington, you know, so I've gone to meetings all over the country. And by going to conventions and different things and workshops, I've met people from all over the country. I've lived in Arizona. We're now they're an hour ahead of us now. So I have friends in Arizona. I may be moving back to Arizona. I'm not sure. I'm going there in February uh, to spend some time with my daughter and do some things and maybe look for a place. 
because um, the doctors at the VA say it may be time that I need to be in an assisted living place. So I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, but because I have some short-term memory loss, like where did I put the piece of paper and stuff like that. So we're going to look into that a little bit. So, uh, you know, your loss will be Arizona's gain. <laughs> Not that I'm egotistic at all, but, um, um, yeah, so I, I don't worry about bothering anybody. Uh, Melissa? Hi, everybody. Melissa, compulsive eater, food addict. Hank, thank you so much for your experience, strength, and health this morning. Just had a quick question for you. I may have to quit, but can you just let us know what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Thank you. Okay. Before I had these health funds, because I'm walking with a cane now, I used to, I have a, a friend in OA gave me this great pillow, uh, years ago, and I call it my prayer pillow, and I put it on the floor, and I get down on my knees, and I say the first three steps, and I offer prayers for my family and my friends and whatever. And now I sit on my bed and do it because it's hard for me to get down and get up. So I sit on, and I say that every morning. Um, thank you for my absence. Thank you for my family. Please take care of everybody, my friends and family. Uh, five generations of people with my bloodline. Um, I'm, I'm from the oldest generation, but I'm not the oldest cousin. I have a cousin who's two years older than me, but he's a second cousin. His parents were my first cousins. So I say prayers for those and my friends in OA. So I, I do that. That That's part of it. And please, you know, I say thank you for my neighbors. Thank you for my fellow dog owners. Thank you for my thank you for my dog who, who rescued me. She's a rescue animal, and she rescued me. You know, I get to go to the dog park every day. I wouldn't go to the dog park without a dog, you know. So um, that's that's pretty much, you know, how, how I do that. I, I hope that answers your question. Uh, Amanda B., Hello, I would like to know, do you still say that you're powerless over food? And what's your relationship with God like? I'm still powerless over food, certain foods. Um, So what I do is if I go to, I usually weigh and measure my food at home. When I go to to a restaurant and I can't weigh and, and, and measure it, I leave a bite over for God. I was told to do that, leave a bite over your place. I leave a bite uh, some piece of whatever um, uh, there. It could be a vegetable. It could be a protein. It could be a starch. I leave one one bite of everything, so I'm not eating. I'm not eating at all. That that works for me. If I'm at home and I make a sandwich, I generally well, I have to get a new food scale. I was weighing it. My food scale broke. You know, everything's breaking down at the same. So I have to get a new food scale and and weigh my food again. I put the, the piece of bread on it, and then I you know if I'm making a sandwich, then I then I do that. So I weigh and measure at home when I can, and when I go out, I leave a bite over for God. Jonathan? You're muted, Jonathan. Oh, there you go. Jonathan, food addict. Hank, thanks so much for your service and qualification. And I love the Brooklyn hat. I'm wondering what and if you do anything different during the holidays or birthday celebrations or that kind of thing to be proactive in your program. Probably make an additional one or two outreach calls, you know, and and spend some quiet time meditating some more, you know. Um, That's what I would do. You know, please, please help me with with this kind of thing. That's what I do. Uh, Pray and meditate and make calls and to be of service. If I can get out of my own head, and then it helps. You know, I th- if I could edit, and I was an editor, if I, I would like to add three words to where it says, 
Remember that we deal with alcohol, food, cunning, baffling, powerful. I am jealous and patient because we're promised a life beyond our wildest dreams, and we're living that life, and the disease hates it, and it's out to get us. So I have to remember that my disease is not only cunning, baffling, powerful, it's jealous and patient. It hates my recovery. It wants me back in servitude to it, and I have to remember that. And thank you for asking that question, but saying it out loud reinforces my commitment to not letting it keep, keep me in bondage. Frank? Oh, yes. Hello, uh, hello everybody. My name is Frank S. I'm very grateful to be here today, and thank you, uh, Hank, for a credible share. Uh, so I have kind of a two-part question. Um, what is the biggest challenge you've had uh, in, in OA? And how did you get through it? And or what is the process you go through when you are facing something, whether it be food related or non-food related, the big issue, stress or challenge? And uh, tell us the process that you go through to work through it. Okay. I don't think I've really had any problems with OA. Uh, and I think, you know, I've had some health things. I've had, uh, I've had, a, I underwent a quadruple, oh, okay. I had a quadruple bypass in recovery and I went through it by myself. But I had a best friend. He passed away. We met in the third grade. And he passed away a few years ago. And I was in Washington at the time. And I was there by myself. And my friend came down and spent a week with me to get the. My daughter was going through some things with her husband that I didn't know about. And so, you know, I felt alone. But this was a friend and people in OA. And, and I'll tell you, so, I know if you knew, you don't. I, I had the opportunity to meet Roseanne. I think I said this where she came in a thing and I got her book and, and I thought I was special. But, you know, so um, you guys are my family. Uh, I'm an only child. Uh, uh, I think I'm the last generation. I'm the youngest on my father's side. Uh, I don't have any first cousins there. And I'm uh, one of the oldest on my on my mother's side. I have one older, two older cousins uh, and then a few younger. And I stay in touch with them where generations. I had a cousin who passed away. I'm in touch with his kids. Uh, there, so I have the family, but you guys have become my family. Uh, there is a, a couple here who've come over and, and taken care of me and walked my dog for me when I was unable to. This is people in OA. You guys are my family. Like I've said, I was an only child until I came into Overeaters Anonymous, so I'm forever grateful. I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you. Vincent? Uh, can we unmute Vincent? He should be able to unmute himself. All right, I'm unmuting now. Thank you. That would be a very useful tool for my wife. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Hank, thank you so much for your share. I have a, a question that may be a little bit strange, but um, and the answer may be just no. Uh, but in hindsight, is there anything or any set of things that you would do differently uh, than you have done, you know, in the program or in recovery? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I really can't think of anything. I think I've, I think I've worked the program pretty much to, to the best of my ability. Uh, maybe go to more meetings. Uh, um, it's just easier to stay in. I'm, I'm sedentary now. As I said, I walk with a, with a cane, so it's difficult to get out and do some of those things. I'm grateful for the Zoom meetings. I don't like it. I miss the hugs. You know, as I said, I'm an only child. Uh, uh, 
solitude is my, you know, is my default mechanism. So it, it, sometimes it's an effort, but I make it, and I always feel much better after I've, I've gone to a meeting. So it's just that um, I need the hugs. I'll give you my address. Anybody can come by and give me a hug and leave. Carol? Um, thank you so much for your share, Hank. Um, I remember when I was new, the ninth step really scared the bejesus out of me. And, of course, I didn't have to get to it until after I was done the first eight. But can you share a little bit about your amends process, some memorable amends you made, um, and if you had any trepidation, how you sort of worked through that and, and, uh, and got okay, her done? Well, um, an amend I made to my, to my ex-wife. Um, she... Um, uh, oh, I owed her some money, and I thought I owed her a lot more money, and I was saving up to give it to her. And when I when I, I paid her back, she was surprised that I paid her back, and I said, I added more money. I said, it took me so long to pay you back, I added $200 as interest for that. That was one of my most memorable amends. Uh, I really don't have any others that, that I recall, but I remember making that amend. It was a financial amend. She lent me some money or something happened and, and I gave her and I gave her and I, and I said, you were right. I was wrong. Um, and uh, here, so you, you waited patiently. And, and every time I gave her, I give her $50. I owed her a few hundred dollars. I give her $50 a time. And she always acted surprised when I gave, gave it to her, you know, but finally I said, you were right. So this last one was there, but here's another $200 for waiting so long for me to pay you back. That, that was probably my, my most memorable amend that I made to my ex-wife. And we talk to each other now. I'll call her on her birthday. She'll send me a card on my birthday. So, um, you know, we're okay now. I know one time uh, an, I would go to her parents' grave because she's in Arizona and her parents are buried here. And one time she told me, I don't want you going to my parents' grave. And my sponsor said, hey, keep your mouth shut. Just go and don't tell her. So that's what I do when I go to, when I go to visit the uh, uh, my parents' graves or whatever, or if I can't get, my parents are buried in New York. So around the holidays, I'll drive over to the cemetery and, and visit her parents' grave and just not tell her. Julianne? Everybody, so I have a question for you, Hank. Um, uh, what do you think is the... Uh, what do you think is often uh, the reason people relapse? And I'm sorry, can you, can you speak up a little bit? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, so what do you think is it can be the reason that people, or is often the reason that people relapse? And also, um, how do other addictions uh, interplay with food addiction? Okay, I think, we, I think the relapse is the result of being uh, complacent or anxious and thinking that this one time food will fix it just this once and it sets off that chain reaction, that chemical reaction that they say we are to certain foods that sets up the craving. It talks about that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and, and I say, if, if I could add three words to it, remember that we deal with alcohol, food, cunning, bath, and powerful. I always say it's jealous and patient because if we do this program, if we work this program to the best of our ability, we're given a life beyond our wildest dreams. The disease hates it, and it's out to get us. It's looking for any little crevice that it can creep in and, and bring us back and bring us back. So you have to be eternally vigilant. 
and do that. And sometimes there'll be something that I'll, that I'll want to eat, and I know I can't stop. So what I do is uh, sometimes I, I want a little bit of frozen yogurt. I, I, if I weigh it, I do it. But if I don't weigh it, you know, I'll, I leave a bite over for God. I don't eat it all. Not to finish it. That's part of my recovery. Not to, not on a, if I go to a restaurant, I leave food over on the, at every meal. Like I went out to dinner last night and I, I brought some home, but I'll leave a bite over for God today when, when I, when I eat the food tonight. I'll leave a bite over for God. I'm making that commitment now. So uh, when I have that uh, rest of that Chinese dinner, uh, that we had last night for New Year's Eve, I will leave a bite over for God. Or I don't leave it over. I give it to the dog. She loves it. She, she's not an overeater. Well, she is, but she, she holds it well. Carla? Hi, Hank. Um, my question is, you know, these times have been challenging for uh, – I can I can only talk about myself for me, you know, the isolation and the lockdowns and the increase and so on. Uh, what do you do to deal with the lack or diminished amount of human contact? And is that a problem? Outreach. I make outreach calls. I know people all over the country, so it's a different time zone. If, I, if it's 7 o'clock and I need to talk to somebody, I call somebody on the East Coast where I'm not waking them up. It's 10 o'clock. It's making outreach calls. And and probably the person we're calling probably needs to hear from us. And if they don't, that's their problem. Use the phone. Use the phone. Use the phone. But now it's texting. Text somebody. I like to hear a person's voice. As I said, I'm 80 years old. I'm old school. So, you know, I want to hear somebody's voice. I want to, I want to have that interaction with sound. I think my, I'll give my number. I'll say it out loud again. It's 818-939-4232. My phone is very rarely turned off. Call me, and if it goes into message, leave your number, and I'll call you back as soon as I hear it. And I also give my last name, because God forbid somebody's in the hospital. I'm looking for Hank. So my last name is Nyer, N-E-Y-E-R. You know, so you can find me. I'm looking for Pete. What's his last name? It's, I don't know. He's, you know, a member of a fellowship. you got to give your last name. It's at the level of press, radio, films, and television. It's not inside the meetings. We have a right to know who we were talking about. And that, that's my own personal opinion. But I say that in the meeting. Because God forbid somebody's in the hospital, we have to know. I'll tell you a funny story. I was in the hospital once, and, um, and I was there with this um, observant Jew, an Orthodox Jew. And there were five of us in the ward. And his wife was bringing him kosher food. When she found out I was Jewish, she started bringing food for the two of us. The three Gentiles saw how well we were eating. She had to cook for the whole ward. So that, that's a fun, I think that's a funny story. So um, um, it, it's great. You, you guys, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, I said, like Roseanne promised us, a life beyond our wildest dreams I never dreamed I'd have a life as full as it is. Susan Kay. Uh, thank you, um, Hank. That was really inspiring. I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm also a double winner. And, um, you know, I re- recall I'm a relative newcomer to OA, and I recall 
the gift of desperation. And I don't feel that in OA and am having, am challenged um, to work a program as I know it works, uh, has worked for me in other programs. And I just uh, wonder if you have any thoughts on um, I don't, know how to exp- I don't even know how to express. Um, I feel powerless that. over food, but I don't seem willing to work the program as I uh, know it needs to be worked. Uh, have a sponsor, and the first, I'd love some encouragement. The, <laughs> the first thought that came to mind was to gain some more weight, so maybe you'll be desperate enough to come back. I don't think that's a great idea, personally. (laughs) um, That's what came to mind. If you're not desperate enough, you have to do something to be desperate enough. It's a gift. Desperation can be a gift. You know, I I was desperate enough, you know, when I I, I finally found this, that I had to do something about it. Because I said, this therapist said, Hank, get your ass back to OA. And, And I call her every year on my anniversary. She's retired now, but I still call her on my anniversary to thank her. For, for, for saving my life. And I thank you guys every day for saving my life. I, you know, it says we of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we of Overeaters Anonymous. It's a we program. And as an only child, this concept of we was new to me, but I embrace it thoroughly now. Uh, as I said before, I was an only child until I came into Overeaters Anonymous. I have countless brothers and sisters, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. It says we don't have to like everybody. We just have to love everybody. So there are some people I really don't like, but I love them anyway. We have time for a few more questions. Does anybody else have a question they would like to get with Hank? I'm waiting for somebody to ask me where we're going to go for lunch. (laughs) I didn't hear anybody laugh about that. Okay. I have a question. Hank, can you talk about sponsorship some more? About what you do with your sponsees? Oh, I just tell them, you know, call me, let me know what you're going to eat. You know, call before you before you eat. You know, call me before the problem. You know, I can we can work out the problem before. We, if we have to do it afterwards, we can. But it's much easier to say, I'm facing this. What do I do about it? As to I face this and this is what I did. What do you think? You know, to put that, it's called having an action plan. If you're going to an event, what are you going to eat? Do you have any idea what the menu is? What are you going to do about the hors d'oeuvres? Will you limit yourself? Will you walk by and just look at it? You know, will you get there late so you don't have to deal with the hors d'oeuvres? Or, or what are you going to do at an event? Uh, go to a ball game. Another thing I do is people don't know me, know me, but I used to eat in secret. Now, I go to a ball game, and I'll eat a hot dog or something and have a glass of beer in front of people. There are a thousand people watching me because before, I would take the thing into a bathroom and, and, and scarf it down so nobody could see what I was eating. I have no problems about letting people, strangers, see what I'm eating. That, that to me, is the biggest thing as opposed to eating in my car by myself. Hank, a quick question. Um, the keep coming back, it works if you work it and you're worth it. 
What does that mean to you? It, 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 what it means to me is the disease, I would like to add three words to it. Remember that we deal with food, cunning, baffling, powerful. I add jealous and patient. We have to work it because the disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups while we're in here doing something. So we have to be diligent about the program because the disease is jealous and patient and it's waiting, you know, cunning, baffling, powerful, jealous and patient. It hates my recovery. The disease wants me in its clutches so, so badly. And I'm aware of that, that I, that I do this, that I'll get up if a meeting was at seven o'clock or whatever, I would have gotten up at six thirty to, to leave the meeting. My recovery comes above, above everything else. Shelly. Hi, Happy New Year. Thank you, Hank. Hank, how do you define emotional sobriety and practice that? Um, getting out of myself. The emotional part is letting somebody know what's going on with me. As I said before a couple of times, I'm an only child. Isolation is my default mechanism. I'm sedentary, so it's myself and my dog and myself. I sit in my recliner and I watch TV all day. Uh, so I have to get up and get out and make phone calls or take her for a walk or do something. So I just have to be proactive and not let the disease, you know, it's there. And I know it's there. I, this jealous and patient part of it uh, really resonates with me. I've been doing this now. I just celebrated 33 years. My top weight was over 400 pounds. And now I'm about 250, 255. I've been lower. I've been higher. And I'm hoping to get down lower again. We're almost done with questions. We have time for one more. I'll ask a question. Where are we going for lunch? Just a joke. <laughs> I didn't hear anybody laughing. Okay. It was loud laughter, but we're all muted. Okay. So, so Hank, speaking about lunch, give us an example of what your lunches are like and your meals. Okay, well, for breakfast, I have usually I, what did I have for? I had an apple and a nutrition bar, and yogurt. That was that was my breakfast. That that'll be it. For lunch, I, I went out last night. Got some Chinese food, and I have leftover Chinese food. I'll either have that for lunch or for dinner, and I may have a turkey sandwich. Oh, I think I have eggs. I go to Trader Joe's and I buy their salad. They have a spinach salad and a chicken salad, and I add chicken to it. And I weigh the chick I weigh the protein. I don't weigh the vegetables. I didn't get I didn't get to be four hundred pounds by eating lettuce, you know. Um, so I I don't weigh this, this the vegetable part of it, but I, I try to weigh the protein like four to five ounces, six ounces, whatever. I'm a big guy. I'm six three, you know, six two now, six one, whatever. So you know, uh, um, I need a certain amount of things, and I and I'm not as active as I used to be, but um, I try to do it. 